This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to the Thursday Night Podcast, episode 160. My name is Brady and it's a two-man game this week. It's just me and David on the pod. Jordan is California dreaming on such a winter's day. He is unable to join us for the podcast. We are going to go through, briefly at the top, an additional signing from National Signing Day for football that was not public until the actual signing day itself, and then move right on into the Georgia State basketball's convincing final win of non-conference play over Tacoa Falls and get right into Sunbelt Conference play. They host James Madison on Thursday and South Alabama on Saturday to kick things off. But like I said, right off the top, just going to go into football. And we covered the bulk of the things to know about this signing class with Ben Moore, PantheTalk.com on last pod. So if you missed that, go and check that out. But the additional name to know after Wednesday is Lamar Robinson, who's an offensive lineman, was at Norfolk State, played one season there, is transferring here. Uh, he's 6'3", 302. He played left tackle at Norfolk State in the one year he was there. My first takeaway is I wonder if maybe he's going to play guard here with that measurables just because he might fit more of the profile for guard. But you know, now you've got two offensive linemen transferring other places, and he's not nearly as experienced as Titan Ferris is coming from Central Michigan, but maybe another guy you're looking at to contribute early coming from the FCS ranks. Yeah, it's you know we we've talked about it all off season about just how many open spots are on this team specifically the offensive line. Um, the competition is good. I, I think you know I don't want to read too much into anybody. You know where they come from. I kind of agree with you on his size. He's probably going to be one of the guards. That's probably going to be where he ends up. But you know competition is going to be really important for this team as they try to fill in some of the holes that they had last year. So you know that's any transfers that they can get in that one specific area. And and last year was the first year in a while that Coach Elliott, who's been a really good developer of offensive line talent, did not have the stout and consistent offensive line play that, you know, he's been kind of known for. So, like I said, any sort of competition that comes out of this and any sort of competition from the portal, from the signing class, is going to be really important, especially if Coach Elliott identifies guys that, you know, he thinks can get back to where the Georgia State program usually is. You know, that's going to be important for them going forward. Yeah, and just a couple of more notes from the actual signing day press conference with Coach Elliott that he put on. Uh, it sounded like both freshman quarterbacks, Bryson Harrison, Braylon Raglan, are going to be enrolling early and going through spring practice, which I don't know how much of a factor that's going to be for like the 2023 season, because as things stand, still seems like Darren Granger is the incumbent and there's no reason to think that anyone else would be the starter. But really important experience, especially if they're going to give Darren, you know, if there's... He's still got to get some work in in the offseason, but if they're going to work in these freshmen and give them some live action, and if they're getting acclimated in this spring, uh, fall camp isn't going to be as daunting. You figure that, you know, steps can be taken there, and when they hit next spring, they have already are going to have done it. So if you're not bringing in a transfer next spring and you're kind of looking at your internal options and saying, this is who we want to go with the quarterback, it's different than a freshman who's just coming off a redshirt year, who hasn't gone through a spring practice, who hasn't gone through a full, you know, winter conditioning. They'll have done that, you know, one and a half times 
by the time they're getting ready for next fall camp after next year. So I thought that that was interesting. Uh, the other thing is uh, not closed. Obviously, I think they've got like fit, they signed 16 guys, so they've got some scholarships to play with, and there's no upper limits anymore on NCAA scholarships. So they could technically go over 25, which used to be the old number. I'm interested to see maybe they're going to be a little bit of a surge with transfers after spring practice everywhere when guys start to really know whether they're going to have reps or not. Um, the other thing from the press conference I wanted to note is that seems like they really like Kevin Swint, the transfer from Clemson. Uh, Coach Elliott said that he had remarked right after meeting him to meeting with him to offensive um, to inside linebacker coach Brian Landis that it was one of the best meetings he's ever had with the recruit. And uh, he had made a you know joke that not a joke, but seriously, this is what happened. That like basically as soon as he went in the portal, they met him at a Starbucks on Clemson's campus. That's how much they wanted him. And it was a good meeting. He liked what they had to say. They had liked what he had to say. And there are a couple of different times where the conversation worked back around to him. So I think that's a guy. Certainly the Clemson name stood out as, okay, this guy's going from one of those programs, Georgia State. You think he's probably a guy. But all of that backed up by Coach Elliott raving about him a couple of different times during that press conference. Was he at Clemson under Venables at all? I don't, I don't know what year he was. <laughs> Yeah, he yeah, because last year was the first year Venables wasn't there, and he uh, has been there since for a couple years. Okay, so yeah, mean, he's been there since 2020, so he would have had two seasons under Venables. He would have been a guy that Venables recruited. Yeah, so I mean, any t- if that's a guy that knows defensive talent, so you know that's a guy who is going to develop really good talent. So I mean, that's a good gift for Georgia State. Like, just being honest, it's absolutely a good gift for Georgia State. And a lot of these transfers coming in that we're going to have talked about, we'll see pretty soon in spring practice for whatever that can tell us in the early going as their times at Georgia State. Uh, Speaking of early times at Georgia State, Jonas Hayes has wrapped up his first non-conference basketball schedule. Georgia State handles Tocoa Falls 91-52 a game that honestly didn't even feel that close, uh, but for Tacoa Falls, starting off the second half with a nice shooting, um, but it was 15-0 Georgia State before Tacoa Falls got any points on the board. They missed their first six shots. Um, Edward Namoko did not play. He was feeling a little under the weather. He was in the arena, but not going out and playing, and so that meant that Joe Jones and Jamal Kleist got a lot more minutes, and both of them set career highs in points. Joe Jones got his first double-double of his collegiate career with 18 and 10. And, uh, you know, that's kind of my main takeaway because there wasn't really a lot to learn from this game. It's just, you know, Ed didn't play, so some minutes were around, and they didn't really want to push anyone too much in the final game of non-conference anyway right before Christmas. So it led to that opportunities, and, you know, Joe and Jamal and Caleb Scott all took advantage and put together some nice performances and nice little confidence boost from guys who have been playing some bench roles. This is a very interesting Georgia state team. Um, you know, like you said, there was a lot of guys who, you know, normally have came off the bench and got an extended look in against some admittedly inferior competition. But I think the one thing that I've gone back to the last few weeks, um, when specifically highlighting the three point, 
shooting of this team is how this team just does not have the chemistry that a lot of other teams have. And and I'm not saying that from the sense that they, you know, play erratically. I think it's just a simple fact that the, you know, a lot of these guys are still getting their college basketball legs under them. And then on top of that, they're getting their Georgia State college basketball legs underneath them. You know, these guys are not this isn't like the 2019 team where a lot of the guys who were still here after coach hunter left had played college basketball somewhere before had played college basketball at georgia state you know a lot of these guys are they're coming from a whole bunch of different areas and i don't know i know obviously tacoa falls isn't anything special you know no disrespect but when you have a guy like joe jones who's missed like two straight years you know post that first career double double you know have those 18 points when you have a guy like jamal kleiss who has struggled to find his shot has struggled to you know justify some of the minutes that he's been given you know having those really good confidence boosting games those chemistry boosting games that i mean that's really important sometimes you really just need to see the ball go in the basket and we've seen it with brendan tucker we've seen it with Jermaine Mann. We, I mean, we saw it with Evan Johnson. I think Evan Johnson in the first like two or three games of the season, he hit like one three on six attempts and he has been slowly but steadily, you know, leaving each game with multiple threes made, you know, and I mean, that'll be important. Like you look at the final three point shooting number in this game and, you know, six for 21, not great. But if you look at who was taking the threes and who was making them, you know, you will live with Brendan Tucker being one for three. You will live with Kalik Brooks being two for four. You'll live with Evan Johnson being three for six you obviously can't throw out everybody else you know live with that i'll take that like 50 percent from three give me that every night absolutely you know you, you can't throw away everybody else but those are your guys who are going to be hitting threes and it seems like they're starting to get comfortable you know this was a game where you didn't need Dewan to be crazy in the point you know doing all the things that he can do but if you can combine the threes with you know his tenaciousness in the paint that's a good squad just plain and simple you know the way that they've played defense the way that they've defended on the perimeter you know going back to my chemistry point that you're starting to see you know that Hayes and company are starting to put it together in that department and you know it's just a matter of okay can we really find wherever the ceiling is for this team and you know just kind of chase it and just on a personal note it had been like a little over a month, the Belmont game was the last actual in-person Georgia State game for me. So it was just kind of nice to get back in an afternoon basketball game in the middle of December. Uh, the weather wasn't at its worst at that point, though. It's been just a, a real time in Georgia the last week. Um, moving forward on the calendar this week, Sunbelt play starts. James Madison starts their Sunbelt, uh, you know, their time in the Sunbelt. Coming to Atlanta, playing Georgia State on Thursday at seven. They are have been one of the better teams in the Sun Belt through non-conference play. They sit at nine and four after taking a double overtime loss to Coppin State their last game. They have put up a lot of points. They average over ninety a game, uh, counting all their opponents, including some non-D ones they've played. But they really, really score it, and they've got a familiar friend in charge of the program. It is Mark Byington, who was the coach at Georgia Southern for several years in the last decade, was the head coach of the Eagles when Georgia State beat them in the 2015 Sunbelt Championship game, which eventually went on to beat Baylor in the NCAA tournament. And 
you know, this is going to test Georgia State because this is a really good offense. They've got a couple of guys in 40% plus from three. Uh, top 100 in both offense and defense, actually, per Kempom.com in efficiency. Um, certainly going to be a test, but I would also start off the discussion by saying two of those four losses that James Madison has were to the two best defenses that they've played. Georgia State is going to be the third per defensive efficiency best defense that they'll have played. And so it's also going to be a test for them. And they're coming off a loss to compensate. They're probably pretty angry about. So that factor is certainly at play. But, you know, without just saying, oh, Georgia State's going to, you know, take them down to the wire, though that is what they've done with a lot of teams. It kind of does work both ways. I think it's going to be a good test for both of these teams to chart out conference play. I agree. You know, I think James Madison is some level of good. Um, you know, per Ken Palm, they are, you know, hovering right in the middle of the 70s, um, which is, I mean, that's excellent. That's where Georgia State used to be when they were, you know, preseason favorites for the conference, just to give a comparison. Um, and James Madison is scoring at a ridiculous pace. You know, they're one of the best, if not the best, you know, scoring offenses in the country. Um but to your point about the defenses, you're right. You know, I think it's a little bit easy to kind of look at their some of their opponents and kind of brush them off. Um, you know, when they faced North Carolina, North Carolina was ranked 20th in Ken Palm. Obviously, James Madison couldn't win that game. You know, they faced Virginia, lost that one by five. It was very competitive. Um, but, you know, Virginia was ranked 13th. And then their next closest win was the 35 point win against Buffalo earlier in the season. Um, I don't know. Like it's, it's hard really to gauge how James Madison has done in out of conference outside of just, Hey, they score a lot of points because they have struggled with some of the better defenses. You know, the four losses that they have, I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's really, you know, the reason why they lost those games because they just could not find a way to, you know, score in the hundreds. I, they scored a hundred against Coppin state, but Coppin state caught them on a, you know, it was, Double a, overtime it was a weird also. game. It, it was it, a weird game for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, and they do have a common opponent with Georgia state. Uh, East Kentucky went up to Harrisonburg and played them and it was a 97, 80 game. Obviously, we don't need to speak of what happened when Eastern Kentucky played Georgia State at the Convocation Center, but definitely just a game played at different paces. And James Madison made 75% of their two-point attempts in that game, which doesn't feel like something you're going to do every game. And I think that it kind of does speak to the differences in those teams and how we're going to see the game play out on Thursday because they push it. They are top 20 in the country in tempo. Georgia State does the opposite. I started to talk about this on last week's pod. I'll go into it a little bit now, more so. And I think that's why you kind of saw those games play out in those different ways where you play the same team. One of the games is in the 90s and the 80s. The other one's in the 60s. Kind of just how each team wants to play the game. And so Thursday, it's going to be really interesting. Georgia State hasn't necessarily stopped their opponents from going fast if they want to it's been more about them controlling their offensive tempo and going really deliberate with their possessions but 
it can have an effect on the game flow and it'll be interesting to see who can kind of take control of that. It will certainly say a lot about how the game's going to go because based on what we've seen, if James Madison's doing anything like pushing into the seventies, into the eighties, even the nineties, this Georgia state offense hasn't shown that they can keep up with that. But if it is a lower scoring and if Georgia state rolling out the every possession can have it to where James Madison's up, up, up tempo gets disrupted. That could be where Georgia State finds an edge in this game. It can be, you know, like you said, Georgia State wants to put teams in a garbage compactor. You know, that's the style that they have kind of learned how to play so far this season. And hey, like I said, the chemistry has been better. Maybe the three point shooting is going to start being more consistent and they'll actually, you know, push the temple a little bit. You know, the three point shooting has been horrible. Um, but I, I'm like we've talked about, I'm not really worried about that. And I, I don't know. It's I know we talked a little bit offline about it, but I, I, I get the sense that this game is going to be a little bit closer than how it kind of lines up on the paper. And, and part of that is just because of the nature of out of conference play. But part of that is because I've seen what Georgia State has done and teams that have been able to hang with Georgia State and actually pull away have been because they've been able to hit their threes, not because they've been able to run their pace, you know, and I mean. Yeah, they still ended up getting the win. You know, Northeastern, you know, that was a bad game. But, like, Belmont, for example. Belmont did a really good job of just hitting their threes when Georgia State kind of wanted to slow them down. Um, and if James Madison is doing that, yeah, James Madison is probably going to come away with the win. But what if it's an off night, you know? What if it's one of those nights where they're not shooting almost 40% from beyond the arc? That favors Georgia State. They absolutely can hang with them then. Yeah, and the other thing is they are, James Madison, very prolific, stealing the ball, get steals on 13.5% of defensive possessions, which is 13th in the country. Uh, Georgia State shown some growth in that regard on the defensive end, starting to get some more steals, though the number is still, it's 8% of possessions, 273rd in Division One, so good bit below the D1 average, not where they want it to be, but some things there that are trending in the right direction and James Madison's a little bit lax with the ball and Georgia State not terrible ball control uh, but not not great so we'll see you know especially if you've got both Dewan and Brendan controlling you know running different possessions and Evan Johnson working in there as well no one over exerting themselves or feeling like they have to do too much like we've seen, especially in the Rhode Island game. Maybe you're going to be playing controlled and not play into their hands, but that is definitely the dangerous combo in that game is, you know, like you say, if they're making their shots, which they've done at a pretty prolific rate through non-conference play and, or if they're getting steals and taking away Georgia State's possessions that way, that's just going to play in their hands all the wrong ways and not going to be a formula for success. But like we talked about last week, this first two and these first four games in conference play is going to be very illuminating for the way that this conference season might go for Georgia State. You know, following on from James Madison on Saturday, it's a South Alabama team that it's kind of differently constructed to how we're usually it's still got transfers. It's still a Richie Riley, South Alabama team. So it's still built around guys in the transfer market. But instead of bringing in 
some guys from power conference schools this year. The big get for Richie Riley was a D2 guy named Isaiah Moore. And he has been their leading scorer. He's averaging 18 points a game. Obviously, his game has been translating to the D1 level. He's made that transition very well, and he is kind of the guy who runs everything. Looking at his numbers without actually having seen much of what he's done, I don't think a comp to Dewan Odom and what he's brought to Georgia State is that unfair of a comp. It seems like he's primarily doing a lot of their offense. He's staying in the game. He's top 30 in the country in just amount of time on the floor. So he's probably not going to get that much rest in the game on Saturday. Um, and then some other guys that have uh, joined in from other schools. Uh, Greg Parham's a guy from VMI who's shot over 40% from three last year. He's a hair under 40% this year so far that going to be a little bit of handful on the perimeter. And Kevin Samuel's a seven foot big guy who is uh also going to be a force, someone that's going to test the bigs for Georgia State, but a little D2 flavor to the Richie Riley formula, and uh, I don't really know what to make of them, so Saturday is going to be an interesting watch for sure in that regard. I don't know what to make of them because their out-of-conference schedule was pretty dang tough, Um, and they certainly struggled with said tough out-of-conference schedule. They had a stretch where they went... They face New Mexico, Alabama, and then Oklahoma in like seven days. That's that's hard, <laughs> you know. Um, but I think you've still seen the very capable Jaguar offense that we've seen over the past few years. The characters might be different, you know. It might be more Jones and Parham now, but you know it doesn't. It doesn't change the fact that Riley can still find ways to get offense out of he's the out of his guys, regardless of where they're coming from. You know, um, I I really like the Isaiah Moore Dwan Odom comp just because with usage, with the points, with the you know troubleshooting the three ball. I mean, that seems very apt. You know, he's a guy who's shooting fifty six percent on his twos. You know, this year. Um, but 13% from behind the arc. So that's definitely a guy who's going to want the ball in his hands, you know, five assists a game about a little bit of a turnover problem as do the Jaguars have, but you know, that'll be a game that Georgia state is going to probably play more true to their style. And, you know, Dwan's going to have his hands full just as much as Isaiah is going to have his hands full with Dwan. Um, And I mean, the nice thing about South Alabama is they're only a little bit better than Georgia State at shooting threes. You know, obviously, if they're just, you know, running Georgia State off the perimeter, all right, hats off. But, you know, we're not talking about a team who's going to shoot near 40%. You know, I think they, Kevin Samuel is not a guy who's shooting threes, but like you said, Greg Parham is a guy who's, you know, he's made a couple threes. You know, he's shooting a good clip of them. You know, he's 26 for 62 this year. Um, you know, they have a couple of other guys off the bench who've, you know, been able to have good percentages. So I think you've got to worry about some guys coming off the bench and doing some damage, you know, but it's not going to be like a team that's going to only shoot threes and only, you know, want to run Georgia State off of the three point line. Um, but it'll, like I said, it still will be important for them to not have that be an issue. You know, you don't want a team who normally is not doing a thing to start 
doing the thing in the game. So, you know, I think South Alabama will be a good, you know, barometer for where Georgia State is right now. And, you know, maybe we'll look back at that game and say, okay, this is where things were regardless of the result. And, you know, this is how they improved going forward in the season. I guess it's interesting the things we hone in on because I kind of go the entirely opposite way on a couple of things you just talked about. Uh, one is that South Alabama, far from having a turnover problem, is very good at not turning it over. They have the 11th best turnover percentage, and that is buoyed by having the number one in Division One basketball percentage of possessions where it ends in a steal. They only turn have steals happen to them 6% of the time, number one in the country. Uh, so I think you're going to, you know, in contrast to, you know, James Madison, where they're, you know, so good at forcing steals, South Alabama is very good at not giving up the ball cheaply, which probably speaks to having a senior D2 experienced guy running your offense. I just don't think that he puts it in harm's way that much. Um, and then from what I was looking at, actually, they I don't know if they're running like I haven't seen enough South Alabama games to tell whether they're running guys off the three or whether it was that they were playing some of these power conference teams that were just looking to get in the paint. But the opponents, you know, 29 percent of opponents shots are three pointers. So they're not taking very many against South Alabama. So it will be interesting to see what the nature of that is, if they are running teams off or if it was a case of looking to get it inside. But um yeah, I guess we that's why we have more than one of us, because it's always good to get different ideas on things. It absolutely is, you know, different perspectives. You know, the same stack can be read by four different people and you have four different conversations about it, right? And obviously they play at Georgia Southern. So I guess in the Sunbelt schedule that was supposed to get rid of travel partners. They're still kind of on a travel partner schedule because they go to Southern and then they go to Georgia State on Saturday. So get a look at that one um, to kind of see how they do against team that's sitting around where you are in the ratings and is probably more of a defense first team like Georgia State is. Not a terrible, terrible situation where you're going to see them right before play a team that might be playing kind of a similar style to what you're doing. And more to that point, it's something that I've said a couple of times in non-conference and now we're into conference play. So I can just mention it now again, that I think Georgia state playing teams on the second day at home can be a advantage for them with the way that they play, because if they're playing the way they have at their best and hounding teams defensively, yeah, Georgia Southern, Georgia State's not a bad travel situation, but playing those two dogged defensive teams back to back is its own beast to deal with. But you know, you get a team traveling from Arkansas all the way to Georgia State on the Saturday. You got some tired legs from the Thursday game. It, there's opportunities there. I think it's every team is going to be able to kind of pull some kind of rabbit out of that hat as far as like what they can do to make their Saturday home game an advantage for them. But for Georgia state, I think it's pretty easy that, you know, the way that they play defense travel, all that that entails, that's going to be the first instance of that this upcoming Saturday against South Alabama to see how they can use that. So we'll certainly be back next week to talk about how those games win. It's going to be, you know, one and one, Maybe a good parameter 
maybe two and zero, and you start to feel like some some new hope, and maybe that some of the what we've seen in the non conference end stretch is real, and this team is starting to find their footing. Uh, that's seven p.m. on Thursday for the game against James Madison, and two p.m. on Saturday afternoon against South Alabama. We will be back next week, probably with another person with Jordan running and moderating this thing. Um, But thank you for listening. Hope everyone had happy holidays with friends and family. And we'll be back next week to discuss more Georgia State sports. Thanks so much, guys.